You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Tokyo Theater Friends. I'm Jose Solis, the co-creator and founder. If you are new here, thank you so much for joining us. We are a community of BIPOC critics, journalists, and friends who love the performing arts so much that we do a web series and a podcast. And if you're new, we have so many episodes that we've recorded over the years, including recent interviews with Andre the Shields and Kwame Kwe, Arma. I want to remind you all that what we do is by the people, for the people. So if you could become a contributor and join our friend zone on Patreon, we would be extremely grateful. You can join starting at $1 and you get a weekly newsletter with staff picks and recommendations as well as bonus Q&As and bonus material. So join us if you can. If you can't at the moment, I know it's a very hard time financially for many of us. So if you can't contribute, we would appreciate if you rate us and review us and if you share our episodes. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking to Ricardo Perez Gonzalez and Sahim Ali, who are two of the minds behind the public theater's adaptation of Romeo and Juliet to Romeo y Julieta. So it's a bilingual production. And this was a really lovely conversation that I had with the two of them. So I hope that you enjoy it as well. Sahim Ali and Ricardo Perez Gonzalez, welcome to Token Theater Friends. Thank you so much for joining me. I kind of want to like start asking you questions, uh, like a bunch of questions at once. But before I do that, instead, I want you to tell our viewers and our listeners about Romeo y Julieta. What is Romeo y Julieta? Bueno, Sahim. All right. Uh, Romeo and Julieta is a bilingual adaptation of Romeo and Juliet, Shakespeare's play. Um, Ricardo and I have adapted it using Alfredo Michel Modenesi's all Spanish translation of the text. So we talked about different translations and considered different ones and then settled on this because of just how um, uh, kind of closely aligned the text is to Shakespeare's like imagery and rhythm of the originals. They just really felt like they would fit well together. So Ricardo and I worked together to figure out how to um, make a draft of the script that um, was almost 50-50, I would say, bilingual. Wouldn't you say, Ricardo? Yeah, absolutely. I would say yeah. leaning a little more into Spanish, um, actually. So 55. Totally. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it is. Oh, it, it is such a beautiful script that the very first thing that I have to ask the two of you is, you know, Romeo and Juliet 
as well as most Shakespeare gets produced all over the world and everywhere and all the time and constantly. So when I read the script that, that the two of you worked on, I was surprised by how breathtaking I found that romance again. And because one of the things that's happened to me, I don't know if it's happened to you, so I would love to hear about that as well, is like that the older I get, the less I like actual Romeo and Juliet. And the older I get, I'm more of like a nurse or friar kind of guy. I'm like this, teenagers uh -huh. are assholes who just wanted to get laid. And they ended up like, yeah. But also like the adults are no better. But I love the friar and I love the nurse. But with your script, I learned how to love Romeo and Julieta again. Like I remembered being a teenager and being horny and being in love. So can you talk a little bit about growing up with Romeo and Juliet and what you, I guess, found out or discovered about the script uh, and about the play while you were working together on the adaptation? Well, I I mean, it's it's kind of, embarrassing to say, but I'm just such a diehard romantic that no matter what, every time I watch a production of Romeo and, Romeo and Juliet, in our case, Romeo and Julieta, I'm like, no, don't die. Spoiler alert. Sorry, everybody. Uh, I, I'm always hoping for a different ending, and I'm always hoping that everybody will just be better, you know? And it, what's funny is I, I've been talking to the actors about the their reaction to the script and how the script lives with them as part of the ancillary material. We do a couple of podcasts in addition to the radio play and the ancillary material has uh, interviews with the actors. And a bunch of them talked about this progression of, yes, I, I remember feeling like Romeo and Juliet. And now I just feel like, you, you know, Juliet's mother, or I feel like, the friar and it's it's a, a tough spot for me because i've i've always think i felt like the friar because i was a very mature young person and i've always been a bit of a juliet like romeo kind of you know when he when he has his little breakdown and is yelling at everybody i'm like come on romeo get up like stop being so such a jerk to everybody but juliet's always like this is what i want this is how i'm going to get it let's go and I still kind of feel that way. Can you brag for a second about your Julieta, by the way? Oh my God, I think Sahim should, because I also think it has to do with your history with the play, Sahim. It's kind of amazing. It does, it does, yeah. So um, Romeo and Juliet was the first play that I was ever uh, cast in. The first play that I ever was in myself, I did it myself. I did like a production of Greece that I directed and choreographed and bloody blood. Um, but then someone saw me in that and then asked me, uh, invited me to, to do Mercutio in, the, in a production um, uh, in this company called Phoenix Players in Kenya that was run by a couple of Brits, but they had a very kind of uh, uh, diverse cast of uh, local folks and some British expatriates. Um, and in that production, Juliet was played by this young woman named Lupita Nyong'o who was 14 years old at the time. And uh, I met her doing that show. And um, I loved, I just, I, I didn't know Shakespeare is my first Shakespeare and just the process of like discovering like what the words meant and like seeing like the actors kind of embody the passions. And I was just like, oh, I was really blown away. Um, and Lupita was so good in that production that 
I, so as Mercutio, I died before intermission, right? So uh, I didn't get to come back for the curtain call. So after intermission, I could go home. I didn't have to stay, but I would stay almost every night to watch Lupita do the potion speech like the speech where she's with the potion in her bed deciding, I would go downstairs in the back and like watch her every night because she was mesmerizing. She was mesmerizing. Um, and so uh, fast forward 15, 20 years later, you know, we're, we're friends, we remain friends and we've been talking about doing Romeo and Juliet. And originally we were talking about doing a production in the Delacorte um, that was like, you know, Shakespeare's English. But then I started to dream up this multilingual production, um, especially after working with Ricardo on Twelfth Night uh, for the mobile unit which uh, had, I would say, maybe 15% Spanish and 85% and, uh, uh, Shakespeare's English. And I really wanted to like push the envelope a little bit further and have more Spanish in it um, in a really, really robust way. And Lupita, who is Mexican and Kenyan, you know, just her identity and the complication of that and the fact that she's African, but she's also Mexican. Um, I, I just, I love that about her. And she's just an extraordinary actor too. So all those pieces like, you know, just brought us to this point where we're at. So Sahim, that was like a total humble brag. Like you got to see Lupita, sorry, you got to see Academy Award winner Lupita Nyong'o play <laughs> Juliet when she was actually like Juliet's age. So that's like, wow. Yes, I know. <laughs> I'm hanging she up was right so now. Good. <laughs> I'm like, I'm ending this Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> I can picture her, I can picture her, the hair that she had, like the nightgown that she was wearing, holding the potion. It's just like me in the back of the theater. It's it's amazing. Like it burned into my brain. She has something extraordinary. And this is something, Sahim, that I've noticed in the production you did of Richard also last summer, Richard II. Uh, and it's like that you, you know, I, it's really hard for me at least, and I know for many people that I know, to get into Shakespeare because a lot of directors don't know how to find that musicality. And listening to Lupita Nyong'o as Julieta, it's fucking music, man. I was like, I can listen to this. And it's like, I've, I feel like I'm listening to like Ella Fitzgerald, even though she's not singing. She's just oh my goodness. saying Shakespeare. So I wanna hear about how you, how the two of you capture this musicality because like it's the first time that i felt like romeo and juliet i mean west side story doesn't count but it's the first time that i felt like romeo and juliet is music like what they're saying sounds like music and that's why those teenagers were so horny <laughs> yes <laughs> they're horny for each other's music yes absolutely um well, there's a lot to that. I'll say I can talk a little bit about the pre-work and then I think Sahim just did such a great job with the actors in rehearsals, making sure it's you know musical, but not just about rhythms. Um, so first off, huge, huge, huge credit to Alfredo and his translation because the man spent years, you know, really thinking about every word and every choice and every rhythm and the differences. So this was what was so rich in working both with his text and with Shakespeare in general is that, you know, iambic pentameter is the thing in Shakespeare, but it, Spanish doesn't really overlay onto that in the same way because it's just the rhythm of the language itself is different than the rhythm of English, obviously. And Alfredo did a really great job of respecting the rhythm of Spanish in his translation while still creating this, this poetry. And so for me, it became this wonderful exercise 
So first off, Sahim did this amazing kind of first pass of, of mixing the two languages. And, and it really gave me heart because, you know, everybody says, oh, we want it to be more Spanish. We want more Spanish. We want more Spanish. And then you turn in something that's like a lot of Spanish and they're like, actually, I'm worried that English speakers won't understand. And it was completely the reverse with this, where I had kind of started doing some things and I was like, okay, this one line. And then Sahim does this pass and it's like, wow, that's like, that's like a chunk of Spanish and I love it. So going off that, it was then this really wonderful process of being like, what feels good to me in my tongue, in my body, in my mouth, as I'm like saying this line and what feels like a natural shift into the Spanish that is both, that bridges the rhythms of my, my, my heritage, that bridges the rhythms of my heritage, the reality of my dias diasporic existence as a, as a member of the Puerto Rican diaspora, right? As somebody who uh, had Spanish growing up, but didn't really speak Spanish until later in life. Uh, and so I, it, it also, you know, I used to sing opera and I have this background in music. And so it really was, that was kind of, my first gut pass of it was like, what just feels right as I'm speaking? What feels like, you know, that moment when my father would switch into Spanish because he was upset with me, you know, what, what's that moment where I just don't have the word in Spanish, so I'll switch to English, which happens. Or what is the feeling of that moment when I'm like trying to get that boy at the bar in Puerto Rico, in San Juan, whether I'm at, you know, the Jirafa Verde, which is, is closed, but you know what I mean, the, the gay bar in San Juan, and like, what's the line I'm trying to like switch into so he doesn't notice that my accent is, is really terrible. You know, that was, it was a process of feeling my way through the rhythms of the play, so I'm glad that that comes across. Okay, Ricardo, so what is the line that you were gonna use at the Jirafa Verde from Julieta? <laughs> Por favor. Well, bueno, bueno, depende, depende en, 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 uh, en el hombre. Si sí, él tiene como un, un, una camisa azul, es bueno, me encanta la camisa. Donde, you know, where did you get it? So, so it's, it's, it's always, I always have a unique line, um, but I've definitely have some, some uh, poetry to some lovers in Puerto Rico that I could, I could bust out later i won't now <laughs> but yeah <laughs> yeah and working with ricardo is always seamless for me it's always like super organic like we we have such a great um uh like shared sensibility and we started from a place of it being really subjective like you said like what feels good to us what sounds good to us you know, we had a Google Doc that we shared, and as some we, when we had like some of the actors prior, uh, like um, before rehearsals, reading the text, we were both kind of like commenting, like, "Oh, more Spanish here, or more English here," and kind of being totally in sync about that, and then really being open to the actors bringing their own subjective take as well. You know, so we had our roadmap that we had prior, and then we also said to the actors, like, "Please tell us what feels good. When do you want to make the switch? When do you want to like, you know, incorporate a word here and there? Even the Spanish words that maybe out." was chosen like is something else that feels better for you you know so we stayed really open to that input because 
it, the, 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 through the actor's vessel, through their identity, through their heritage, like it had to feel like also connected to their Spanish, depending on where they came from or what relationship they had. Had they been speaking it since birth? Had they spoken it like since they were 10 years old? And so that we really wanted that to come across so that it didn't sound like anyone speaking someone else's version of Spanish, you know, really letting their sense of identity be what informed the language choices. And that is so fascinating because Shakespeare, for instance, even though, you know, I, I'm completely fluent in English, although it's not my native tongue, but people always tell you that, you know, like you have to get used to Shakespeare. Like so many people that I know refuse to go see Shakespeare because they don't understand what, what the catchers are saying. It's in English. So we're talking, Ricardo, about like translating into much Spanish. It's almost like borrowing that whole like you know, you, you have to get into, right? You know, like you have to, if you have to get into Shakespeare and you can get into Shakespeare, you can also get into Spanish, motherfuckers. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And if you don't know what it means, like look it up, you know, or listen for it. Like people who are not native English speakers have to do that all the time. We have to like infer or deduce or like, you know, connect the dots. So motherfucker connect the dots too. Like, you know, do the work. <laughs> I wonder if this, when you were working together on specific words and specific lines, was there a word that you just like, it rolls off your tongue and you can't stop saying even now that the play is finished? <laughs> you know, there's, there's one phrase that stuck, that sticks with me for, I don't know why, but it's Juliet's mother and it's just, Mi única afán. It's like my only, like, for I don't know why. Maybe it's something about Florencia and the way she says it. That's like, you know, mi única afán. And, and then I think it switches to English. Is to see you married, you know. Uh, um, yeah. And and there's something about maybe it's a combination of the switch, the way she says it, the beauty of the vowels, and also the notion that this. And this is something that to your earlier question about, you know, growing up with the text and being older, this is Florencia's take on it. Like, I get that. Like, this is my child. I have a dream. I have a hope. I have a desire for them. I have a goal. And and it's not working out. And so so that is so unromantic, but it it's just really stuck with me. Um, I don't know if you have. Yeah. It almost sounds like the mom in la telenovela telling her daughter, right? Like telling Talia, like, oh, vete de mi casa, or oh, casate ya, or something like that. It's like, I oh, mean, yeah, rings a bell. I would that she were married to her grave, you know, um, that that whole that whole feeling. Yeah, I, and maybe it's also Sahim, and Sahim can speak to this a little bit. The fact that we cast a uh, Florencia as the matriarch of the family. There's no Lord Capulet in this production, in this radio play. Um, and that comes from something that Alfredo's, uh, a company Alfredo worked with in Mexico did. And there's something about the matriarch of the family and Florencia being such a presence and Florencia's take on it of like, my God, I did this to my daughter in a way, like the, that shared guilt that like really resonated with me this time around. And maybe that's why that phrase like really sticks with me. 
yeah when when alfredo like proposed that like about the 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 confluence of the lord and lady capital i just i couldn't unsee it like after that i was like well there's no other way to do this play except for having a single parent matriarch of the family like that's like so fresh so exciting like i i i just feel like you know going back to like a heteronormative mother and father relationship in that home just feels so boring like who cares about the father who cares he's not here he's not here you know like only she is so um yeah that was i just i i could not unsee the possibility and how exciting it was after he mentioned it and, and you know like this getting rid of the father also speaks also in such a direct way, in such a powerful way to Latin American people and Latinx people, like where it's like matriarchies, right? Like we, I mean, I have, I know so many people that don't know their fathers, for instance. And it's always like, even in my own life, like although my father's alive and he's a great dad, but most of my cousins and most of my uncles and aunts and like everyone, like it was mostly the women. It's always like the men disappear either by death or by choice but they're not there anymore. So I want to hear you talk a little bit about building this because it's definitely, you know, although we can't see it, we can feel it. It's like, it's a completely color conscious and language conscious production. It doesn't matter if we are not seeing the actors. Because something that struck me as so beautiful and so original, for instance, was there were dogs barking in the balcony scene. And it immediately transported me to being a little kid in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, where I grew up. Dogs bark 24-7. I don't know where these dogs are coming from, but I was like, <laughs> when you hear a dog barking in the balcony scene, it is Romeo and Julieta in Mexico, Romeo and Julieta in Argentina, Romeo and Julieta in Cuba, and et cetera, et cetera. So can you talk to me a little bit about building this world, like this world where your Romeo and Julieta takes place? Yeah, that's precise. I'm so glad that you picked up on that because that's precisely the work that uh, Bray Poor, Jessica Paz, Isaac Jones, our, our sound design team um, was going for because like, what are the elements? So because it's on the radio, I really was not interested in like saying like, oh, we're setting it in this country or in like this era. Um, and also because I really wanted to embrace all the different kinds of Spanish that the actors are going to bring rather than asking them to like kind of um, homogenize uh, their dialect. And so those, because it's such a, even more than when you sit in the theater, it's so much more of an imaginative space. It's like when you read a book, you use the words and you kind of conjure in your head, like, you know, and that version is always better than like the movie version because it's the version of your own dreams and your own imagination. And so with audio too, it's like, well, if it's not gonna be on stage where I have to decide like are the props this and as a scenography that, then why would we limit it? But so what what clues can we can we provide so that it can conjure that image um and so the kinds of birds that are there the kinds of like uh, uh atmosphere that's there um you know in the, in the opening scene there was one version of it that was like so kind of like um heavy on like the buses and the dogs and the pedestrians i was like this sounds like bogota this is like you know maybe a little too like big city in latin america like maybe we need to pull back a little bit you know so it was really fun to kind of figure out the the, the, the cues and the clues so to let people kind of conjure that image that you feel something that could be in latin america or central america or the caribbean just somewhere around there um that could be different like you had that experience and maybe when ricardo was listening he goes like you know to san juan you know and really really we wanted to allow that kind of imaginative space to exist 
And I think there was, you know, I, d I don't want to say that patriarchy doesn't exist in Puerto Rico and in, in, in Latin America and in, in Latine culture. But I do think, you know, there is this thing of la madre es la que manda, you know? And so that in addition to being kind of something that Alfredo brought forth, really everybody has mentioned that. Everybody has mentioned like, oh, you know, and, and my mother saying, you know, it, 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 saying, you know, uh, these things, um, like it is to see you wed, like, and, you know, in the ground, I wish you were that that's from view from a bridge, but the equivalent of that, right. Um, it's really, really powerful. And, and I think we all, you know, I don't have a relationship with my mother, because she's a bit too much like that. But I think so many Latina folk um, across the globe really recognize like the seed of power, la que manda es, es la mamá, you know? Yeah, I don't wanna like generalize, but you do not mess with uh, una mamá hispana. You don't, <laughs> I don't think in any country. I think that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> it's like moms yeah. always take the bad cop uh, position, which is like weird. And again, like, I'm, I don't wanna generalize. I'm sorry, mom, I love you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the process of the two of you working together in different uh, cities right now, because you cannot work together together. <laughs> so what was that process like? I mean, you had a Google document, but like, how do you pick up all the nuances that you would have gotten if you had been together, for instance, or is that something that you had to learn how to like overcome and instead you found different nuances? It's a great question. I do think, you know, it's one of those things where because Sahim and I have worked together before, I felt, you know, maybe I can speak for both of us and say that there was a lot of trust there. Uh, and so it, it it was almost like, first off, Sahim was really great about uh, like texting me if I'd forgotten something or like reminding me, you know, because that's my biggest challenge right now is like time zones and like, you know, having things on my radar. So like a true director, he was always good. Like, this is, you know, here's an outline, Ricardo, stick to it. I think he's worked with playwrights and knows we're a bit flighty before. Um, so that was incredibly helpful. Like, Sahim was always like very sturdy. And then when it came to the discussions of things, there was just a lot of trust and a lot of, you know, in my, when I work on my plays, I'm very like, I have an opinion about every word, you know? And because this isn't, my it's not my translation you know which thank goodness because that would have taken years um and it's not um and it's certainly not my source text and it is it's really such a pure collaboration that it was very easy for me to like say i literally in the google doc there would be times when it could be this it could be this i like this but the actor might prefer this you know again um <laughs> I don't know why I'm going back to that. is to see you wed. Like it could have been, you know, I only wish que te casas. You know, like it could have been that. As if I don't remember Alfredo's translation, so forgive me, Alfredo. But it could have been something like that where we'd provide options and we'd see how the actor felt about it. And I just felt complete trust in doing that. So that was one shorthand we developed where I'd highlight something and give like too many options and it would get, you know, collaboratively n narrowed down. 
Yeah, this was my third rodeo uh, in terms of the radio plays during pandemic. So I definitely learned from my experiences with Richard and with Shipwreck and Washburn's play, um, how to kind of streamline the process, how to get people on the same page, even though we didn't have a literal page, you know, Google Docs just became our friend. It's like everyone can go and they can see what the updated text is. They can see what the notes are, you know, and they can see like what's changed and what hasn't. And um, just using... Uh, just really leaning into that because everything has been like this. Um, and I never thought that it would be such a satisfying um, creative space to be in, in terms of rehearsing with the actors, in terms of working with Ricardo, but like it really has been like, we've, we've learned how to operate in this non-space space, space um, quite like quite, uh, you know, efficiently. Um, and so, for me, it was just about um, just making sure that I'm, you know, keeping everyone kind of on, on the same literal page um, and also leaving enough room for uh, creativity and for uh, flexibility and for um, discovery, you know. Um, and so with Ricardo, I think what he said about the trust is so true. We have a shorthand because we know and love each other like over the years. And so, um, you know, just having that not not being like a new relationship that we were starting, having done something very, very similar with Twelfth Night, incorporating Spanish into it, knowing like, okay, this was this much, now we want to go for much more, you know? And like being on the same page also um, um, in terms of like the mission of the piece, like not to, not to like give like bite-sized Spanish, you know? Not to cater to like, I don't know, it's like, it's not the white gaze, it's like the white what? The white like listen? I don't know. Like, you know, white folks listening and like, oh, Oh my god they're gonna be lost like no we were so on the same page about kind of like sticking to the fact that you know first of all it's romeo and juliet you're you're dealing with like the most widely known shakespeare play everyone knows the plot everyone knows like what's gonna happen if they don't guess what wikipedia it so like really saying like this is this is for folks who are bilingual and this is for folks we we actually want to be we want to take care of the spanish-speaking folks more than we take care of the english-speaking folks you know they're taken care of there's like a million different versions of this play that they can find you know but like so how so having a partner who shared that mission was absolutely crucial and also like in the era of like bad bunny on the radio like it's kind of like insane that people would demand that the entire thing is in one language like no like people get with the program I'm very curious about, uh, Sahim, you mentioned about this like non-space space and as a journalist and as a critic and as someone who doesn't know how to do what you guys do and not wanting to, like that's why I love theater makers so much because I don't know how to do what you do. I wonder, you know, in so many ways I feel, although like radio plays and audio plays are bringing out new layers of forks, like for instance, like I, you would have to pay me, Sahim, to sit through Richard an actual theater, but I like devoured uh -huh. your radio, like your audio version it was so, so beautiful. But I wonder like what are the challenges for the two of you when that thing that you are seeing won't be seen by anyone else? Like how does that world change when you have to build it only with sounds, even in your own imaginations? I mean, like, the yeah, like you said, Sahim, like, you know, like, like a book, we're all gonna imagine the buildings and the costumes that we want. But for the two of you, what was that like? Yeah, I would say that the journey for me from Richard to, to Romeo Julieta was just um, letting go of what was outside of my control and just accepting that, okay, I would do it this way if it were on stage, but we're not on stage. So like, 
what are the what are the powers and possibilities of audio that can really 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 like you know enhance this in a way you know so you may not be able to see something beautiful but then like you know with audio you're in someone's ear so like what kind of intimacy can you create with the listener that you wouldn't get on stage you know you can whisper something and they're right there and you can like instead of an actor entering with footsteps you can play a piece of music and then oh you something has changed what's changed like there's just when, when, when someone's listening with their eyes closed, like, like how are we guiding them in a way that um, is imaginative and um, uh, uh, dynamic um, while letting go of the fact that I don't know, Jose, when you are in your home, like, do you have the lights off? Are you listening when you're airports? Are you listening to speaker while you're cooking? Like, it really aggravates me not to know, you know, how for, not only not to know, but not to share it because, oh, the thing about the theater, like sitting with that audience and experiencing with them is like, I did, I never knew how much that for me was like the number one enjoyment, the number one enjoyment, because I can do everything else with this except that, like sit with them and like kind of feel the, the play with them. Um, so I would say the journey has been just really um, um, embracing what the form allows and just being like, okay, it's not that. So just like let go of trying to make it be that other thing. If you want to know, now that you're asking me, like when I listened to Richard, I've been in the United States almost nine years now. And when I listened to Richard was the first time that I, my, I have a record player, it has a radio. And listening to Richard was actually the first time in my entire life in the United States that I've turned a radio on. And I was like Googling, how do I find NPR? And I had to like tune in and I listened to Richard wow. on my old timey radio. Yeah, so, but I was gonna say, you know, like one of my, this has nothing to do with where I'm going by the way, but one of my favorite episodes in any podcast ever was the episode of Goop when Gwyneth Paltrow spoke to Lupita actually. And there's a moment halfway through the episode where the two of them just start, start you start talking Spanish because Gwyneth lived in Spain and Lupita's Mexican, like you said. So there's this moment that has two Oscar winners and two of my favorite actors just talking in Spanish about like babysitting and about like family and stuff. And that was like absolutely compelling. So I'm assuming that when I do Romeo and Julieta because of Lupita's like, it's like so smooth and so silky, her voice. Like I'm, I think I'm gonna go with headphones for Lupita. Not that anyone needs to know this, but but now, you know. <laughs> Great. I recommend that. I recommend that. But I want to talk to the two of you a little bit about that because, like, I, I have been talking to theater makers during the entire, you know, pandemic. And I want to talk, I want to, sorry, I want to hear you talk a little bit about how you, you know, the rituals. How do you build your ritual for going to the theater or experiencing theater at home? And I'm just being nosy, I guess, right now. It's like apartment therapy for, with like theater people. You know, I've been really, because I've been really making a point to try to see every colleague who has a reading or every, you know, theater that I care about, kind of their their digital productions, even though I'm zoomed the F out, like all like zoom to zoom to zoom. Um, and one of the things that has helped me is, you know, right now I'm with you on my laptop, you know, we're close, we're right here. And whenever I do... A, or watch a reading or engage in any kind of digital thing um, that a theater puts up, it's really been helpful for me to cast it to my TV. It seems like the most ridiculous thing or to access it through my TV, but it makes such a huge difference for me to able be able to put up, you know, I saw Lee Edward Colston's um, 
For Which It Stands reading of For Which It Stands at New York Theater Workshop last week. And it was so great to be able to just like put it up and like experience it, especially that particular reading. They did some really delightful editing with it uh, and experience it as a different thing from the daily reality I have with Zoom and being in the Zoom Zoom room and talking to my laptop and, and being glued in this very close relationship. So carving that out is a really nice, it's like, oh, I'm going to the theater now. Let me, in, instead of <laughs> come to my couch and this is my portal to the theater, this black box on my, on my wall over there. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful, my friends. Um, I did catch Lee's uh, reading as well, and I agree. It was like so beautifully executed, and the cast was great, and I I loved like all the moving pieces. It was just so well done, you know, so well done. Um, I I have had the good fortune to be working on a radio play back to back since like April last year. So I've either been in pre production or post production or in rehearsal or in pickups. So I've really just kind of burrowed down on like creating these. Um, these productions and working with actors uh, uh, on them. Um, I saw some of the under the radar uh, productions like the, um, the Rich Kids of Tehran. I don't know if you guys saw that and, and Capsule, Whitney White's piece and um, uh, the third of the cooking one. I forget the third one. Yeah, so I've, I've enjoyed some, um, some and, and I always do it. So me and my husband just like kind of sit and like we have our time and I've loved that. I've loved the ones where you have to show up at a particular time. Like to me, that appointment, like nature of it is so beautiful. It, it gives me something to like, you know, my evening it gives me something like I, I miss going to the theater so much. So if you tell me like I have to show up at seven o'clock, I'm, I'm hungry for to be able to do that, you know? So we're trying to package our, our premiere event for Romeo Julieta to be like on the 18th, like at 7 p.m., like show up and like watch, listen to it together because I just, I miss that. I miss the ritual of having an appointment to engage and gather with other people. Even if we can't be in the same physical space, we can share this non-space space, you know, at the same time. Yeah, because there's always something so theatrical, even as an audience member, about going to the theater. And like, for instance, Sahim, something that's not, sorry, teenagers, don't do this, but also something else that I did when I listened to Richard on the radio was that I had like actual real cigarettes and like wine. So I felt like I was like a fucking Joan Crawford character, just like lounging. Amazing. My rope <laughs> listening to, to Richard. So, and, oh, and this makes me... <laughs> But no smoking kids. Uh, and this makes me think a lot about <laughs> about access. And obviously, if you're working with the public theater and if you're working with anything related to the public in Shakespeare in the Park, and especially the mobile unit, which I love so much, this is like the mobile unit 2.0. I mean, my dad in Honduras listened to Richard, for instance. So I wow. want, I, and I was so excited, you know, like, I'm like, you can actually I guess, like experience a play from the public all the way down in Honduras. So I'm curious as to what kind of feedback have you gotten from people that otherwise wouldn't have been able to experience your work? And also what this means for the two of you as artists, theater makers, but also as audience members, because you both love theater. So what does it mean to be able to experience theater from anywhere in the universe right now? Hmm. It de I, go ahead, go ahead, Ricardo. No, I was just gonna say I, the most meaningful moment. Again, I got to do these these podcast episodes that are gonna um, 
go along with the, the, the radio play. And we got to talk to Juan Castaño who played Romeo. And one of these things he said is, is su padre solo habla español. His father's completely only Spanish speaking. Y, y, porque, y because we um, did it in this way, his father va a tener acceso to, he's gonna be able to, to, to access it. And, and if it were only in English, he wouldn't. And I was like, okay, that's, 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 worth, that's worth it all. Somebody's father, you know, is going to be able, like you said, your, your father in Honduras, and, you know, he was able to listen to Richard III, but, but, um, but Juan's father would not have been able to, right? So the fact that not only is access-wise we're able to, um, you know, shoot this over the internets, but we're also able to have it in a language, in languages, the first off that really hit, you know, my bilingual spot, and also are going to be accessible for mi abuela, mi, mi, your, you know, tu, tu padre, you know, el primo suyo. Like it's, it's really, that, that really means a lot to me in terms of this particular production and the, not peculiar, the particularities around it. Yeah, it's the accessibility about it, not only in terms of like language, but in terms of just like geographic reach has been extraordinary. I mean, I think we had something like 30,000 people listen to Richard like on every night, which is just like mind blowing, right? Like you can't, these are scales that, you know, they're used to in other, in other forms and other mediums. But for the theater, we don't get to have that kind of scale, you know? So to be able to reach people in their homes when they can't leave their homes, to be able to have them like experience a piece of art, and, um, you know, my family is in Kenya and I have some family in the Middle East and they were enjoying this play that they never, they haven't, they haven't seen my work because they haven't never been in the US when I've made a play. So to be able to like share it with my family who are, who are like, you know, so far away, um, something really special about it. So we're just, when we're talking at the public about ways in which we can continue to build on that so that just like that kind of reach, like even when we're in the theater, can we live stream, can we capture and then broadcast because, um, you know, yes, the theater primarily is like a space that you're sharing the same air and breathing the same space with like other, sharing the same space and breathing the same air with other people. But like, if we can compound that and like bring stories to people's homes across the world, like it just feels like a win-win situation, you know? Absolutely. I'm going to totally like misappropriate El Bardo right now i'm sorry mr shakespeare and i mean it's not not longer it's like the world is staged the world is literally a theater like it's our lobby and our balcony and our orchestra yes. Scene, so yes it's That's beautiful That's beautiful it's exciting yeah. sahim ali and ricardo perez gonzalez thank you so much for joining me do you want to let our uh, viewers and our listeners know when how and where they can find romeo and julieta Yes, so the, we're going to release the play on March 18th at 7 p.m. You'll be able to um, either come and like do a watch and listening party that we're going to have with the cast and the crew. Um, Lupita Nyong'o and Juan Castaño are going to be there to host live before and after the event. So you'll be able to see them and have a Q&A with them. Um, and then it'll be available on everywhere you can find your podcast, Spotify, Apple, um, uh, Tidal, like all the different platforms. You can listen to it for free, for absolutely free, everywhere you can get a podcast. That's so fucking amazing. And it lives forever, right? Like it, they, they never like take them out. And live allegedly. forever, yep. Until the cloud or the aliens or whatever, who knows? But maybe, <laughs> I'm sure. 
sure the aliens are gonna love uh, Lupita Surieta. So thank you both so much and I'll, I'll see you soon. Thank you. Thanks for having us. That's awesome. Hey, it's Leslie Udom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.